Hey, listener, are you happy with your current chicken wings? Do you wish you had something a little saucier? If you answered yes, then it might be time for you to break up with your old chicken wings and get a new honey. Lemon pepper wing from Popeye's. Share the wings with your friends so they can see it's time to move on, too. Head to Popeye's and get six-piece honey lemon pepper wings for $5.99. At participating U.S. restaurants, price may vary. You know, Jim Trotter, uh, I've, had, I've had quite a summer. I've thought about you a lot this summer because it, it just, in the last few weeks, do you know how many people from both sides of the aisle, let's call it that, from both sides of the aisle, of the HBCU aisle, who I've <laughs> met who have said, uh, I'm representing the real HU. And some of them are talking about Howard, and some of them are talking about Hampton, and like, oh my God. So every time I hear it, I think of you, I think of Steve Weiss, and like, okay. And it was, Weiss was one of them. Uh, I heard him uh, in a uh, Spike Lee documentary that's coming out soon. It's going to be fantastic on Kaepernick, but he was interviewed in there. And one of the things he said, yeah, I'm Steve Weiss, and I'm, a, I'm an alum of the real HU, Howard University, and you are an alum of the real HU. Let, let me move over so you can see that helmet behind me. Yeah, yeah. That is the, that is the real HU. And then, by the way, we have never had Institute in our name. So if you want to know who the real <laughs> HU, that tells you. And, and look, I got love for Hampton. I, I want to be clear on that. I got nothing but love for Hampton. But when we're talking about HU, it's only one. And you know what there's only one of? There's only one Hall of Fame, and you are a Hall of Fame voter. I'm proud of you. You deserve to be in that position. You're a Hall of Fame guy. So I trust, I trust your I trust your insight. I trust your observations. So I'm I got a couple of Hall of Fame thoughts for you off the top. Let's go with number one. I need you to answer this question in your feed. I'm intrigued by it. You said, is this the year that Tom Brady falls off? And wow. I'm just wondering how you got there. I'm, I'm wondering why you think that because I'm 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 kind of with you, but I just want I want to know what your process is on this. Well, look for me, Michael. Everyone has been talking for what the last three, four, five years that this is going to be the year that Tom Brady falls off, right? And he has proven everyone wrong. And what's different this year for me is what I have learned about professional athletes that I have been around is. The first time they start talking about retirement, their mind is already someplace else, that they are not as 100% committed as they have been previously. Tom not only talked about retirement, he did retire. So from my standpoint, for him to now come back, and now we look at what's happening with the Bucks in terms of the personnel around him, when we look at the injuries that they've had on the interior of that offensive line, the people that they have lost to free agency or retirement, and even some of the little injuries they've had at the receiver position, knowing that Mike Evans has missed some time, although it's nothing serious, and Godwin is coming back off injury. I just think when you start putting that all together with a player who not only talked about retirement, but did retire, to me, I think this is the year that we see the decline. And I'm not saying that this is going to be a precipitous fall off of a, a cliff okay. where... What's that, what's that know, look like? What's that, what's that decline look like? I think they're going to struggle to make the playoffs. I really do, Whoa. and I feel bad about that because I, I I'm in a that division. Player. I'm going to tell you this: the Saints are better. The Saints will win that division, in my mind. 
The Saints mm. will win that division. The Saints quietly, if you want to say quietly, um, will make a legitimate run at a Super Bowl. Now, I'm waiting to see what's going to happen with Alvin Kamara early in the year in terms of him possibly facing a suspension. But defensively, they have been strong now for several years. Offensively, Jameis Winston was playing at a very high level last year before he got hurt, and that was with no weapons on the perimeter. Now you bring back Michael Thomas, and I think people, because he was away last year, I think have forgotten just how good he is. And then you add a Jarvis Landry, and then you go out and get a Chris Olave who can take the top off to go with a Kamara and an Ingram and a defense like that. I think the Saints are one of those teams that, by the end of the year, um, should be in a position to make a run at a title. So, so, so on Brady, I, this is why I like where you're going with it. I think Brady, when he left New England, it's almost like what you fear, parents out there. I, I, I hate to hit so close to home, but parents who have run a tight ship for many years, and then your kid goes off to the real HU, and they're 500 miles away, 1,000 miles away, and it's on. <laughs> okay, all right. Mom and dad not around anymore. I'm about <laughs> to get loose. And that's what Tom Brady, with with New England, see, like, the things he's doing right now with Tampa, like, even if, like, just say, just, just pretend that he, that he retired in New England for 40 days, then he came back, and he went to Bill Belichick and was like, hey, man, hey, Bill, you know, when I retired... I had this thing with Giselle. It's already been planned, so I'm going to need to miss a week and a half of training camp. Belichick be like, the hell you will? Exactly. No. So, like, all the things that he has been able to do in Tampa, whether it's putting his fingerprints even more so on the offense, coaching, as Bruce Arians said after they won the Super Bowl, hey, Tom Brady did a lot of coaching this year. Okay, all that kind of stuff. He couldn't do in New England. So I think every step of the way now, Tom Brady going forward, if he if he makes it to 50, I don't know, 47, or this is his last year, everything he does, Trotter, I think is just his way of saying, how much can I push this and still be a great player? And, and he... No, yeah, give him credit. Not, like He was able to do it about five years ago. Remember the whole Tom versus time thing? He did that. He was upset with Belichick. He's like, I'm not coming to OTAs. And that was that was so out of character for him because he was always that guy. He said, oh, I'm not coming to OTAs, but I'll be there during the season. He was great. He didn't go to OTAs. He was great. They got to the Super Bowl. So I think he says to himself, I can still do all this stuff. I know enough. I've been around long enough. I can do all of these things a little differently and still be a, still be a great quarterback. Look, he, he's going to be a, a great quarter. He is a great quarter. He's the greatest of all time. And coming from me, that says a lot because you have to remember, I'm a San Francisco native. And forever, you could not tell me there was a better quarterback than Joe Montana. I mean, I'm with you. That, I was yeah. I was just like that. That was, that was my Brady, poster on the bedroom wall. Joe Montana. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. But the greatest of all time, without question, at that position is Tom Brady. But I just think there are too many factors now that – weren't there in the past, you know, and particularly in terms of focus. And from that standpoint, that's why I say it's going to be difficult. And the other thing I'll say to you on this, Michael, is opponents out there know that this potentially is his last year, that he has the Fox deal waiting for him when he steps away. 
And players that I have talked to thus far in camp when asking them about potentially facing Brady in the final year of his illustrious career, is there added motivation? Is there a heightened sense of urgency? Is it different from just any other game during the week? And pretty much to a man, they have said, yes, it is different. Yes, there is more motivation. And yes, you want to have that performance against the greatest of all time. All right, so we'll, we'll see. Uh, I, I'm just, I'm intrigued that they'll struggle to make the playoffs. That's a, that, that's that. a big statement. I like that. I like that. We will revisit that during the season. Now, so now, so now, Jim, Jim, it's time. It's time. Know each other for a long time. Always have much respect for you. I don't think we've had a fight. Not that I can remember. Um, but You're I think about it's to time have for one. our first. I think it's time for our first fight. I think it's time for it. So let's get ready. Because uh, I'm guessing, even though you're a San Francisco native, uh, you are known for being the mayor of San Diego. Okay? <laughs> you, are, you have held down San Diego for many years. Anything going on in San Diego? Let's talk to Jim Trotter. Jim Trotter is all over it. So I'm guessing when Don Coriel emerged from a talented field of finalists, of contributors and coaches, to the Hall of Fame, voted on by the Veterans Committee. Did I get that right, Veterans Committee? Or? No, um, it, it was voted no. on by a subcommittee, the Coaches and Contributors Subcommittee. Okay, 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 good enough. But Don Coriel emerges from this field. And I'm just like, what? First of all, rest in peace. Rest in peace, uh, Mr. Coriel uh, died in 2010. I remember Coriel, like I always have it. That's the Coriel I remember, like watching games. He always had that look on his face. I, I saw a picture of him smiling. I was shocked. I was like, oh, wow. He's actually smiling because I always remember the intensity uh, of Don Coriel. Always seemed really fit, had his plate sheet either, you know, tucked in here on the side, you know, always in, uh, you know, in the moment. But I just can't imagine how Don Coriel, not Robert Kraft. I ain't even tripping on that. Trotter, I see Mike Shanahan was on that list. Art Rooney Jr. was on that list. Mike Holmgren was on that list. Yeah, Robert Kraft, fine. Art Modell was on that list. He shouldn't have been. How does Don Coriel, like, tell me, do you think Don Coriel is a Hall of Fame football coach? I'm going to let you in on a little secret. I was a member of that subcommittee on Tuesday, we voted. <laughs> it's even better. And, it's even and, better. I love it. And I was the person who presented Don Coriel. Okay. Okay. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Oh, we really fight now. Okay. Yeah. Let's get ready. Yeah. Let's get ready. So tell me. Yeah. Tell me what. Tell me what your presentation was. I want to hear this. You can educate me. Uh, it's going to be hard to change my mind. But go ahead. No, it's all good. Well, number one, you have to understand. This was the seventh time that we as a selection committee or subcommittee have brought Don Coriel into the room as a finalist, far and away more than we have ever brought in another coach. So that's number one. So my point is, if we're bringing him back for a seventh time, we are saying that we believe that he is Hall of Fame worthy. Go one step further. One of those times... He was not only competing against other coaches and contributors, he was also competing against the modern era players. So this is before they created this special category. 
And he not only made it to the 15, he was voted into the final 10, which means he was one vote away from being enshrined in Canton. And then all of a sudden, for whatever reason, it was as if we acted like his accomplishments and contributions diminished or they were forgotten. And so I'm saying to the voters, tell me what happened between then, meaning 2010, when you voted him in as a finalist among players, coaches, and contributors into the final 10 to now where we've had these other coaches jump ahead of him and these other folks jump ahead of him. So I, I just I just want to understand from our standpoint as a voter, what criteria are we using? How are we doing this? So secondly, my point is, I don't think that his impact on the game has diminished in the, what, 12 years since we had him in the final 10. Um, his impact in terms of the football game that we watch today, many of the things that we closely associate with today's game, situational substitution, the numbered route tree, um, the H back in motion, all these sorts of things. Um, Don Coriel is either, either credited with creating or innovating these things and taking offenses to another level. When we talk about impact on coaches, look at all the coaches who have won Super Bowls who were descendants of Don Coriel or who utilized his offense either as a head coach or as a coordinator. Um, so that's the other thing. Lastly, I would say this. Those are sort of contribution things, I would argue. But as a football coach, the man was a heck of a coach. Think about this. He goes to the St. Louis Cardinals, right? Right. In the 25 years before he took over the St. Louis Cardinals, you know how many playoff appearances they had? It's the Cardinals, so I'm going to say zero. Zero. You know how many division <laughs> not, titles? Not much has changed. Well, oh, oh, hang on. Let's not forget okay. the Cardinals have gone to a Super Bowl, okay, since then? Right. Um, but Shock. anyway, the 30 years before Don Coriel arrived, you know how many division titles they won? Zero. Yes. Now, Don comes in, his first two full seasons, what do they do? They go to the playoffs and they win the division. His third year, they win 10 games. The Chargers, when he's at the Chargers, the 13 years before he got to the Chargers, they had never appeared in a playoff. No division titles, right? So Don Coriel takes him to the playoffs in each of his first four full seasons goes to two AFC championships games as well. So I would argue this. You could say, ah, it's easy to turn around a franchise, right? To me, no, Marty, no, Schott Marty Schottenheimer, wait, hang on. Marty Schottenheimer once said this to me. Look at how a franchise does after a coach leaves to understand what impact he had on it. So I looked I like at that. that. I looked at it. The Cardinals post Don Coriel in the 30 years after he left, you know how many playoff appearances they had in a non-strike year? One. Two. Ooh, one. Okay. In a non-strike year, one. The Chargers went five consecutive full seasons after he left without appearing in a playoff. So when we talk about the impact that he had on a franchise, that speaks to it. Now, hang on, I know where you're going to go now because I'm already reading your mind, right? So you're going to say, well, he was three and six in the playoffs. Thank you. Yeah, I was. I was going to say, I was going to say, Trotter, he won three playoff games now. What about three playoff games? All these, hey, all these division titles. Hey, what a division title here. I'm like, oh, that's good. What a division title there. Three playoff games. Let me, let me, let me get to you. So he's three and six in the playoffs. I get it. 
Now, for me as a voter, again, I'm saying I like consistency, right? So you got to explain to me then why George Allen is in the Hall of Fame, who was two and seven in the postseason. Okay. He went to one Super Bowl and lost it, right? Um, and if we're got saying that Super Bowl. Super Bowl, he got there. Got but if we're saying, but if we are saying that Super Bowls is a is the primary consideration for a head coach to be in the Hall of Fame, then you got to tell me why George Seifert isn't in the Hall of Fame because he won two, and he hasn't even gotten in the room for discussion. You yeah, got to yeah, tell me. Oh, oh, wait, yeah. let me let me finish, let me finish yep, my yep, presentation, and then Good. you go. You got to tell me why Mike Shanahan is in the Hall of Fame because he won two. You got to tell me why Mike Holmgren isn't in the isn't in the Hall of Fame because he went to three with two different teams and won one. So clearly, what we are saying then is Super Bowls is not the be all end all. In fact, mm-hmm. we've got Marv Levy in who never won. He went to four in a row, right? Hell of an accomplishment. I agree. But if we're saying winning Super Bowls is the be all end all, then by that standard, he wouldn't be in. So all I am saying to people is I believe that we place too much importance on Super Bowls. And I say it from this standpoint. If Scott Norwood had made that field goal, Marv Levy's got a championship. So do we put that on Marv Levy that the Bills didn't win because a kicker missed a field goal at the end? We say Marty Schottenheimer never got to. We we Those say Marty Schottenheimer. I understand. <laughs> we say Marty Schottenheimer never got to a Super Bowl. Yeah. So if, if if Biner doesn't fumble going into the end zone, Ooh, tough. do the Cleveland Browns get to a Super Bowl? And does the, the legacy or the vision of Marty Schottenheimer change? And lastly, I'm going to give you this. Dan Fouts made... Um, you like a, a preacher. You know, man, you like a preacher who says, as I... Hey, as I go to my seat, and then it's like 21 minutes. Hey, last thing, congregation, last thing. <laughs> Keep going. But go this, ahead. This, I'm enjoying no, it. This, this is the last thing. So right. if we have Hall of Fame coaches that we have put in the Hall of Fame, we are saying we believe they are great coaches, right? So their opinions should matter, right? So when you go to Tony Dungy, when you go to, to John Madden, when you go to Joe Gibbs, when you go to Dick Vermeil. These coaches, and they say, they all use the same word separately to describe Don Coriel, and what do they say? Genius. Genius. Mm. And lastly, Bill Walsh. <laughs> lastly. And wrote a letter to Don Coriel after the 49ers won their first Super Bowl and said, number one, if we had played you in that Super Bowl, you would have killed us. It was unfair mm. for the league to make you go play in Cincinnati in those conditions one week Stop. after playing in Miami in the conditions that they played in. Stop. And he said, your contributions to the game are legendary, indelible, etc." So anyway, mm. that's all that went well, into it. And that's why Don Coriel like is I like I like your passion. I like your explanation as usual. Very thoughtful, uh, thorough, Jim Trotter. Uh, let me just back up and just say, just just a little parent that. Give me the butt. It was Give not me the unfair. Butt. Give me the it butt. Was not, no, no, I was going to say it was not unfair for San Diego to go to Cincinnati because Cincinnati had to play. Well, Cincinnati had to play there. They weren't used to playing in, uh, you know, fifty. What was it like? Minus fifty. Wind chill was minus fifty. Was crazy. I remember that day vividly. They didn't like playing playing in it, but San Diego was just like, no, no, Michael they just kind of stopped. Michael they Holly. Quit. Michael Holly. Well, 
no one should have played in those conditions. Kellen Winslow, in fact, says to this day he still has numbness in some of his extremities from playing in those conditions. So no one should have played in those conditions. And to play in those conditions one week after being in the heat and humidity of Miami. Oh, Classic game. One of the insane. great games. And you want to talk, we were talking earlier about great pictures. That picture of Winslow. Yes. Oh, oh just, just, uh, just powerful. Now, I'm going to say this uh, real quickly because we got we to gotta talk to a very talented guest <clears throat> and Shalise Manza Young. I think Don Coriel was an innovator. I'll agree that he, he was a genius, but you know, there are there are two other coaches in that organization who I would put above him for Hall of Fame consideration. One of them is already there, Sid Gilman. You want to talk about the passing game and the innovations there. Sid Gilman, and he ha he didn't have a great playoff record either. That's not very not very good. If you look at the record, not very good. But the innovation of Gilman speaks for itself. That's why he's in the Hall of Fame. And you mentioned my guy, Marty Schottenheimer. Marty Schottenheimer, who was a turnaround specialist in Cleveland, who was a turnaround specialist in Kansas City, who was a turnaround specialist with the Chargers and Washington. Well, you know, he had to work for Dan Snyder. So what are you going to do? But I, I think Marty Schottenheimer never got to the Super Bowl. But you look at his coaching tree and you look at his record. I mean, he's got a ton of wins. Not the big one. He never got that gleam that he talked about. Uh, but he's Hall of Fame worthy. So I, I guess my thing was not necessarily to hate on Don Coriel, but it, we, we're asking the same questions. When you ask about Holmgren, well, how, why isn't Holmgren there? That's why I asked that question too. Why not Holmgren? Why not Shanahan? I think the list, I think he kind of jumped the, he jumped the queue. How could he, he jump the queue if he had been? How could he have jumped? How could he jump the queue if he had been waiting longer than all of these others? How is okay, that jumping? He'd been waiting queue? longer, but maybe he should have been waiting longer based on his credentials compared to the others. And it, oh, and there's another one in there. Y'all need to give some. I'm gonna go old old school. Y'all need to give some love to Clark Shaughnessy. Clark Shaughnessy, who was the who was secret sauce for the Bears. Anyway, uh, we got Shalise Manzi Young coming up next. You don't want to miss her. I'm going to continue to argue with Trotter off air. Dietz and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners, ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. We come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since 1939. All right, it's a family affair now. And uh, Shalice, before you came on, Shalice Manza Young is here, one of the best football writers, football columnists uh, in the country. Before you came on, I said to Trotter, I've known him for a long time, never had a fight with him until now. <laughs> so we had our first fight. <laughs> Uh, but before we started fighting, it, it, we didn't that really get into fight. it though. We just it, it wasn't a fight. It wasn't like, it wasn't a nasty one. We didn't call each other names yet or anything like that. But Shalise, before we got to that, Trotter surprised me. He said he thinks this might be the year Tom Brady takes a little bit of a dip. Not that he's going to be bad, <laughs> but he kind of falls off a little bit. Uh, we after the uh, after the vacation, the real Tommy Bahama. <laughs> 
Tom Brady going to the Bahamas chilling. Um, do you think that this is a sign that maybe Brady's focus is a little bit off and the performance will drop a little? You know, I, I think if the performance drops, it might be in part because of mitigating factors. Let's not forget that he lost his all pro offensive lineman who was helping to keep him upright for the last couple of years. So that's part of it. Um, I mean, I remember one of my very favorite people in the league. He was a great source for me for years. He told me back when Brady was like 33, he was expecting him to fall off a cliff. And here we are, Tom turned 45 a couple of weeks ago, and he's still in the league. You know, I know you guys talked about it a couple of days ago. This is uncharted territory. Nobody in the history of the NFL, you know, at at a field position has played and been he's the unquestioned number one starter on his team. It's not that he's there and helping a young guy. And if the young guy falters, well, then Tom gets to play. No, he is the starting quarterback at 45 years old. So if he falls off, well, should we be surprised? No, he's 45. <laughs> you know, it's just every year I, I, I worry sometimes for as much as we talk about him. Sometimes I actually worry that we don't appreciate fully how amazing he is and how he's been amazing for so long. Shalice, we, we appreciate him here, Michael and I, because I can tell you we have both said Joe Montana was our guy. And again, me being a San Francisco native, so for me to put Tom Brady above Joe Montana, you are appreciated. But I'll say this to you. The, the other point that I brought up to Michael was, to me, when a player talks retirement, you can start to tell that his mind is not fully there. And, and Tom not only talked it, he did retire. And I think back, for instance, to Michael Jordan, the first time that he retired and went to play baseball. When he came back and he was still in his prime, he wasn't the same guy. He had to take mm -hmm. that embarrassment of that one year, that loss to Orlando and, and Nick Anderson in the playoffs to get himself right, to go back and win those three more championships. And that's what I worry about with Tom, along with the mitigating circumstances you talked about. For me, do you think a player can, can have retirement in his mind, know he has this huge deal from Fox out there waiting for him, and still have that same drive, that same thing that made Tom Brady special? I think he would. I'd be surprised. You know, Michael's been around Tom more than I have even. He's driven in a way that few other human beings are. And he's talked for years that he wants to play until he's 45. And now he is 45. I think, you know, outside, not that far outside, because clearly his wife and his children and, and his family plays a role in this. But I wonder if he just, whether it's in a journal or you know a file on his phone or whatever the case may be that he has everything laid out and he seems like he has set his mind to he was going to play until he's 45 and this is probably his last season that he will keep going so I think he's he's driven I do agree with you Jim that you know once you start considering it you can certainly question but also I mean didn't we all know Kobe Bryant's last game and or his last season and his very last game, he still, you know, lit up the scoreboard. So I think Tom sees, you know, what's in front of him. Clearly, it seems like there was some sort of power play between he and Bruce Arians. 
He won. Bruce took a step back. Todd Bowles becomes the head coach. He still has Byron Leftwich as his offense coordinator. The big question mark really is that offensive line. You know, Shalise, we we also talked earlier. uh, We were going a little old school talking about the Cleveland Browns. I grew up in that area in that area and I was I wasn't necessarily a Browns fan, but I didn't root against them. But I'm rooting against them now <laughs> yes. uh, in a big way. And every time, Shalise, every time I hear somebody from Cleveland talk about the Deshaun Watson suspension, whether it's Deshaun or Joel Batonio or whether it's the Haslam's or Stefanski, every time I hear somebody talk, I get more angry with them. I say, mm-hmm. just stop. All of y'all, stop talking. It, it, what's... I, I guess what really stands out to you about this situation now? Is it there? <clears throat> was it the suspension? The elect? Was it the settlement? Was it Deshaun post settlement saying I stand on my innocence? Is it this commentary? Like what really gets under your skin? Because I, like all of it just kind of annoys me. How about you? <laughs> well, how long is this segment supposed to be? Um, as long as you need. Take your time. <laughs> the most recent. Let's go to to last week, right? When his uh, suspension, the 11 games, the $5 million fine, all of that stuff. As you mentioned, the audacity and still like, it was transparent when he spoke to Aditi Kinkabwala before that preseason game. And he gave that semi-apology that he was only doing it because Sue L. Robinson had said, you refuse to show any contrition for what you did. So his advisors, whoever it was, told him, okay, let's pretend that you're actually contrite. He does that in the Friday before the preseason game against Jacksonville. The decision comes down last week. They send out a written statement attributed to him. Oh, I apologize to everyone that was affected. I take full responsibility for what I did. No sooner has that statement made its way around Twitter, he's in front of cameras saying, ah, nah, nah, I didn't do anything. And so that was infuriating. And I need to say this because it's been on my heart. I haven't written it. But really what aggravates me and what really, really hurts is that Deshaun's agent is a black man. A lot of people within his agency are black men. Andrew Berry is a black man. There is evidence that many of the women that he victimized are black women. And he preyed on them. And all of these other black women, all these black men who are all going to gain if Deshaun succeeds, whether it's financially mm. or, you know, because on the on the field, you know, Andrew Berry's job is secure if this move works out. They're all just letting it ride. And these Black women who are the pillar, the pillar, he stands up there, Deshaun Watson stands up there and says, my, my mother, my aunties, da-da-da-da-da. So do you respect Black women or not? Because you have, again, Andrew Berry, his agent, there was a a guy who works in his agency who tweeted after like when the decision came down, oh, why isn't anybody talking about Epstein? First of all, what cave have you been in that nobody's talking about Jeffrey Epstein? And secondly, your guy was credibly accused by 25 women of sexual misconduct. You cannot play whataboutism. Just take the 11 game suspension. You are lucky you only got an 11 game suspension when the NFL could have held you dragged it through court and gotten a full year because we all know they would have won if they had done that. Take the W, shut up, and don't say anything. I'm sorry I had to get that off my chest because it's just like been, it. for 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 black women, 
that how many black women have supported him throughout his life. And he's talked so much about, oh, my mother was a single mother and you got that Habitat from Humanity House, you know, and yet you victimized a lot of black women and all of these black men are just supporting him because they all have something to gain from it and screw the black women that he mistreated to get to where he is right now. You know, Michael, this is why Shalise is one of my favorite followers on Twitter, because she does not suffer fools. And I could not agree with her more. I'm serious. I could not agree with her more. I think the NFL got this wrong. I think the Mm -hmm. minute the NFL appealed that ruling, they should have stuck to sticking for a year at least. I didn't agree with the indefinite part pending any other information that comes out, but I thought for sure he should have been on the sideline for a year. Um, Because, look, I don't care what anyone says. He has a problem. When you go yep. out on social media and you reach out to more than 60 women for quote-unquote therapeutic massages, and many of those women aren't even licensed, um, and then you pull the towel trick on them, I'm sorry. And the fact that the Houston Texans aren't being held accountable in this as well, the minute they gave him an NDA, they knew there was some wrongdoing going on. So to me, they are complicit in this as well, people in that mm-hmm. organization. So I just believe that this this... The league got this wrong all the way around as it relates to Deshaun, as it relates to the Houston Texans. And if you tell me you care about mental health, then don't watch any interviews with Ashley Solis and others because you can't tell me that psychologically they were not affected by what took place. Right. Yeah, and I that mean, was think, part I of mean, it, too. Go, yeah, go ahead, Shalise. Go ahead. Apologies. I, I ended up writing about no. when Sue L. Robinson's you know, decision came out and she said nonviolent sexual assault. Okay, so because these women weren't, and I apologize to anyone who's listening who who may be triggered by this, because they weren't forcibly raped and left behind a dumpster somewhere, it wasn't a violent assault on them. As you said, Jim, watch Ashley Solis give her interview with Real Sports. That was two years after her interaction with Deshaun Watson, and she still gets choked up. Ask any woman who has had any issue like that. If, if it does not become just because it's not a rape or whatever the case. And some of those women were sexually assaulted. He did ejaculate on them. He did, uh, a couple of women said that he forced them to perform oral sex. Those, what are we talking about here? These women are affected. Some of them might leave their business that they were trying to build from the ground up. Some of them are suffering with depression. And, you know, it's just the number, it's to bring it full circle. I think one of the very first columns I ever wrote for Yahoo was in 2016 or 2017 about the former Giants kicker, Josh Brown, and how the NFL just did not care about women. And here we are, however many years later, and I could find that column and republish it and just change a couple of names because the NFL, anybody, nobody cares about women. They don't care because Deshaun Watson got a big contract and, you know, once upon a time he showed some promise so who cares what happens? I mean, and Sue L. Robinson sits there and says, oh, it's an unprecedented number of women. Yes, it's an unprecedented number of women. And yet and still, we're all just, you know, if if he's allowed to come back and play against the Texans, I mean, if we wanted to say the NFL got something wrong, he's playing against the Texans in his first game back if he gets to play. And they might make a mention of it in you know the broadcast and then we're all going to go on like business as usual and somebody's going to try to write some 
story about, oh, he's overcome so much adversity, adversity completely of his own doing, but we're supposed to believe right. that there's some kind of redemption story from a guy who opportunity after opportunity after opportunity can't even pretend to apologize for what he did. You know, this is where, you know, Shalise and Jim, you can really see the brutality of corporate America when you follow this case. You think everybody who had an opportunity to make a statement, everybody who had an opportunity to say, oh no, this is, I'm not going to let this go. Nobody really stepped up and took that leadership role, starting with, as you pointed out accurately, uh, Shalise, Sue L. Robinson. Okay, you agree with the NFL. You said the NFL made its case. You said there's a disturbing pattern of behavior. You said he showed no remorse. And then your conclusion is six games because of the NFL's past and how they got it wrong in the past. Well, hey, you're here, Sue, because they got it wrong in the past. So why don't you be courageous? Yeah, be courageous and do something different. So she passed the buck. Roger Goodell's got it in his hands. When he hands it over to Peter Harvey, we all think, Jim, Oh, I know what's coming here. He just got his guy to do his dirty work for him. We got a year. We got a year suspension coming. Deshaun has no leverage. And they come to a settlement because of optics, they say. I mean, they didn't say it, but that's what it came, came down to. Well, we don't want this to drag to the court system. We want to get back to the games. What the hell with the games? Make wait, a strong statement. Pro- we're going to get back to the games and the first game back is going to be against the Texans. You don't think that's going to be a circus? Are you serious? But here's the other thing too, you know, what you guys are talking about. I got a little offended by Jimmy Haslam, to be quite honest with you. For him to get up there and talk about people needing second chances and whatnot, and they care about women in this. First of all, you are the one, you and your wife are the ones who signed Kareem Hunt after he was caught on video literally kicking a woman. You know, so now to say that Deshaun Watson, well, he deserves a second chance. And I'm not here to to debate whether he does or he doesn't. But if you really cared about women, then you would be focusing your energies on this topic in the community as well. Not just on Deshaun Watson, because he's a quarterback who could potentially lead you to a championship. So it bothers me that he would have that sort of indignation like we are wrong for saying, you know, the Browns are, are, are full of it when saying that Deshaun's a good guy and we did our due diligence and this, that, and the other, Deshaun has a problem. And whatever your, your sexual preferences or whatever is, just Sue L. Robinson said not only that there was a pattern of behavior, but that there was a pattern of predatory behavior. Mm-hmm. That is a key right. word that should not be forgotten in this. And so for me, I know Deshaun's done good things in the community. I know he is a great player. But until he owns up to what he did, and is really held accountable for it, I'm never going to look at him the same. I'm sorry. His agent can never talk to me again. I don't care. That's how I feel. Yeah. You know what? I think, uh, and I know how it goes right now. It all sounds good that we're a united front of the Browns, the Haslam's, and they they had Barry out there. So Andrew Barry and the Haslam's doing a joint press conference. Kevin Stefanski and, and Barry on the same page. I'm telling you my prediction and maybe it's my prediction or it's my wish. I don't know, but I don't think it's going to work. And when it doesn't work, that United front is going to disappear. Haslam's DNA is change. Haslam's Mm -hmm. DNA as an owner is panic and I'm going to switch it up. I'm going to bring in a new administration. 
I'm telling you, if Deshaun Watson is successful ever in Cleveland, I don't think Andrew Barry and Kevin Stefanski are going to be there to see it because I don't trust. I don't trust their ownership. I don't know how you guys feel about that. I just don't trust that they are in it when the, when it starts to get really hot and the team starts off those first 11 games. They start off two and nine or three and eight. I think it's going to get real uncomfortable. I, you know, the record and what happens with the Browns at this point, I, you know, as you guys said, as Michael, you're actively rooting against them. I'm in the same boat. I mean, if we want to talk about the Haslam's and their bad behavior, D Haslam was talking in that press conference and brings up sex workers and sex trafficking. The women who were involved in Deshaun's cases weren't trafficked and they weren't sex workers. So why are you perpetuating that that trope and that stereotype? They, they weren't. They were not willing participants in anything that happened to them. They entered into a room with Deshaun Watson thinking that they were going to give him treatment and, and hoping, I assume, that they were going to have a big-name, deep-pocketed, well-connected client to help them with their small business. And, Am I going? you know, and everything beyond that is, it's, you know, it's just, it's all so gross and it just, it just doesn't even, it's so insulting and you know, we can talk about corporate and we can talk about winning. I just, I am desperate for the NFL to show me that somewhere, somewhere in that league, there is a heart and a conscious. Just somewhere, mm. at some point, please. But can I, can I ask you guys this? The NFL doesn't have to do that because why? Because we are like Pavlov's dogs. When that whistle blows, regardless of what has yeah. happened, we come running yeah. back to the product. And so until right. we, as a public, as a consumer, say we are not going to tolerate it, we are not going to support it, can we ever expect real change? And, and, and that's why it's easy to, for me to take shots at the Haslam's or the league or Deshaun. But ultimately, the question I ask is, am I, am I complicit in this? Are we all complicit in this? And I, I know we have jobs to do covering the league, but I'm just speaking to the public in general. Until the public gets to the point where it says, I'm not going to support this, what's the, what's the consequence for the NFL that, or the yeah. Browns or anyone else? And I think that's the harsh reality of it, is that not enough people in the viewing public, now when you bring you know, there's money in fantasy football. You can bet legally. People, too many people, A, let's be honest, too many people really don't care about black women. If Deshaun, if we knew that the vast majority of the women that Deshaun victimized had been white women, this would have been a completely different story. That's just a fact. But I think, you know, we don't care about women in this country. We don't care about black and brown women in particular. And money is king. And that is, I, that's the thing that the NFL needs. It's scandal after scandal after scandal, in season, out of season. The only thing that Roger Goodell needs right now, look at what happens when we all wake up and go on Twitter every morning. There is all of these tweets from every team with a jersey number, because I saw one from the Bills this morning. Oh, it's only 14 days. I forget which player wears the number 14, but it's only 14 days until the regular season starts. So that's all the NFL cares about, and that's all they're going to keep shoving down our throats. In the meantime, they're going to do useless things like paint and racism in the end zone and have the Haslam's donate their pocket lint uh, to awareness of sexual assault or whatever that stupidity was. Because, um, yeah, none of us, like every other woman on the planet, doesn't know what sexual assault is. Yeah, that's a 
really smart thing to do. It just the whole thing. And and to your point, Jim, I've over the last probably 18 months really, really, really constantly struggle with the idea of why am I still spending my time looking at this league? I am no longer paid to be an NFL beat writer. You know, Yahoo, if I want to write about the NFL, I can. If I want to write about other things, I can. I'm not 100% committed to being an NFL columnist. So, you know, my my job title is broader than that. But then I think it was Michael Smith who said something during during Super Bowl week earlier this year, and it's, you know, a, it struck a chord with me. It's like some of the things that I write and Jim and you guys talk about, Mike, if we don't talk about them and write about them, they're not going to be talked That's about right. or written about. Exactly. So it's exactly it's kind of like a catch twenty two situation, you know. If to be, I'm I'm just not excited for the NFL season because the league has shown again and again and again, like race norming with retired players' brains, every situation that comes up with women, they don't care. They care about money. They're protecting Dan Snyder. I bring this point up because I've spoken to a couple of those women. And I am going to ride for them until I don't care if you're tired of hearing me, seeing me write about it or hearing me talk about it. There are women who are just begging for some kind of justice from the NFL. And now Congress has taken up the cause for them. And Dan Snyder's on a yacht in the Mediterranean so he can avoid a subpoena and avoid having to, to, to be held to account for what he did. And so why am I going to give up my Sundays, time that I can spend with my children, my family, not tethered to a television or a screen for that league. Why am I going to, as a black woman you, who's raising black you know children what, and daughters, how I can't, it's so hard for me to, to, to come to that and be like, yep, this is how we're going to spend our time for 17 weeks. This may be uh Shalice and Jim, this may be an impossible uh, needle to thread and we may be imparsing, but we look at it this way. I think what we're all saying is we love professional football, but we don't necessarily talk in hushed tones about the league that gives us professional football. So when people say, well, have some respect for the league, I'm like, well, excuse me. I love pro football. I love football yeah. at the highest level. It just so happens that the National Football League is the number one league in the land. Uh, but if there were a league that's comparable to the NFL, yeah, and and, and the and the level of play is right there, like like the ABA and NBA when both were at their peak, yeah, I might I go over there. So it's not like I'm embracing everything that the NFL does. I'm embracing professional football, and that's where we start saying, okay, is that even possible? Am I making excuses? On and on. Uh, we could have no, but a I conversation. Go ahead. Last word. Last word for you, Jim. Yeah, I'll say this to Shalise's point is, is the way I thread that needle is, like you, Michael, I love this game. And and I, I love the competition and the le level of athleticism and intellect and all of those things involved with being a successful player. But Shalise, the way that I thread the needle is by when we see injustice, when we see hypocrisy, when we see these things that go on in the league that need to be talked about, that aren't being talked about, take the opportunity to talk about it, to shine a light on oh, it, yeah. which is what you do, which is what I try and do, which is what others do, so that there's a balance there that we can say, 
we love this game. We're going to report on this game and all of it's good. And I go out of my way to try and find players who are doing good at times. But there's also this other side that we have to report on as well. And as long as I have a platform, you're going to get that as well. And then that's how mm-hmm. I balance. The only way I can balance it. Yeah, Shalise, look, uh, you have we have so much we could talk to you about. We got <laughs> onto this subject and it was great. You got to come back. You got to come back no, very soon. And we'll talk about other things. And then they don't necessarily have to be football things. As you pointed out, columnists, kind of hard to get Like, I just think about you so many years of writing football stories at, at the highest level, but you can do much more than that. So we'll take advantage of your, uh, of your range the next time you talk. <laughs> Good to see you. You too. Dietz and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners, ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. We come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since 1939. Uh, Trotter, we talked about this off the air. Uh, Patrick Beverly being traded again. He was recently traded from Minnesota to Utah. Now going from Utah to the Lakers for Taylor Horton Tucker and Stanley Johnson. So he's got an expiring contract. That's good for the Lakers. After this year, they will get some salary cap flexibility. Your boy Magic says, I used to hate Patrick Beverly when he played against my Lakers. But now I love him because he's on our team and he's going to help my Lakers get to the playoffs. That's the standard from the five-time champion Magic Johnson. Get to the playoffs. Your thoughts, Jim Johnson. You know, I don't know if you can see behind me, but I've got a I've got a, a picture, frame picture of Magic Johnson and Larry Bird because that's my era of basketball. And for me, that's the greatest era ever of basketball. Those two going head-to-head, autographed by both players. I spent a lot of money on it. And I must say today, Magic, I'm embarrassed by that statement. You know? You know? I love it. Come on. Let's be honest here. You got an an expiring contract, which to me means, based on everything that you have on this roster right now, it is all about the following season, not next season. So this is not going to move the needle in L.A. This is not going to put L.A. in the playoffs. This is no disrespect to Patrick Beverly, who, if I have a team, I would love to have a dog like him defensively. I but the it. Lakers are not going to the playoffs this year. See y'all. Thank you, Trotter. Good stuff. Dietz and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners, ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. We come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since 1939.